As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, good morning and welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I'm Ken Walls and I'm your host. And today I have a really cool dude, an attorney. Sean Yesner is joining us. I'll be right back. And we are back. Let me bring Sean on to the stream here. Sean, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Hey, man, it's great to have you here. So, um, you know, I told you I created this show. It's been about, um, I don't know, two and a half years ago or so. Um, And I created this to help people get unstuck, to have a breakthrough in life. And I really believe that we, we... we can learn a lot from hearing other people's stories. So that's what uh, this is all about. So we have some great people joining us already. Larry Schneider, Glenn Caldwell, everybody welcome. Share this out because I know Sean is going to bring the heat. He's going to bring it and offer a lot of value. So thank you, Ernest Odell, for sharing this out. So, Sean, um, why don't we start with you telling everybody where you were born and raised? So I am a true Florida native, um, a true unicorn here. I was born in Tampa. Wow. Uh, My parents lived here in Tampa. My dad, I think, was either at or done with McDill at the time. So I was born here in Tampa. But before I was one, uh, both parents grew up in Miami or finished high school in Miami. So we all moved down to Miami and I grew up in Miami and spent the next, what, 17 years in Miami. Wow. So you speak Spanish? No, not a word. (laughs) Really? Yeah. Wow. How do you grow up in Miami and not know some Spanish, dude? (laughs) I I know a little bit of Spanish, but that's that's probably why I'm not in Miami right now, because I don't know Spanish. Yeah. So... um, what was it like growing up in that? That seems really cool. I I love Miami. It's one of my favorite cities. It was it was a great place to go, grow up, and and even to this day, a huge Dolphins fan. Although I don't know that I really want to admit it right now. Um, he a fan of the fan of the Heat, um, the Miami Heat. You know, yeah. since I since I moved back here to Tampa, I've I've adopted the Rays and the Lightning. But I remember being a Marlins fan. I remember being a Panthers fan. Uh, even I hate to admit it this week, but even a UM fan. So, um, wow! So I, I I love growing up there. It's it's I don't know that it's really the same place that it was when I, I grew up in the. I was born in '72, so I grew yeah. up in Miami in the '80s and, and early '90s, and it was a great place to grow up. It's it's changed a little bit since then, but yeah, but yeah, I, I always there, there'll always be a soft spot uh, for Miami. Didn't Sean, didn't Sean Barclow introduce us? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, uh, I haven't, I don't know if I haven't thanked him for it yet, or I haven't punished him for it yet. One of the two. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Sean. I appreciate you, man. So, so, um, so you grew up in, in Miami. Is that, did you go to college down there or where, where no. did you go to, going to college? I got paroled out 
and I went to Florida State undergrad. And so as we're recording this, this is Miami week, Florida State Miami's at the end of the week. And oh, okay. Lord knows, Lord knows if my Knowles are going to be able to do anything with it, but it's, it's a rivalry game. It's Miami week. So yeah, yeah. I went to Florida State undergrad. Okay. And, and then you got out and decided I, I want to be an attorney. I think I knew since high school that I've wanted to be an attorney. Wow. Yeah. Um, and, and out of spite. So uh, my, my senior year in high school, I had a, I was taking a law class. Yeah. As one of my, one of my electives. And my dad is a CPA. My dad's been a CPA probably 50 years or more by now. Um, and one of the projects we had to do was we had to interview a practicing attorney for our law class. And so I did. And the guy that I interviewed was a guy that uh, fought the IRS uh, and had gone all the way to the Supreme Court and had um, argued cases in front of the Supreme Court. And I just thought it was that was super cool. And so uh, my dad always had me doing numbers and I was always been good at math. But I think in high school, I decided based on that interview and based on spite. So my senior year, as part of the law class, we had to run a mock trial. And mm. so I was the attorney designed or, or picked to do the direct examination of the plaintiff witness. And so I prepared the questions. I prepared the answers. I prepared the witness. We went over it. We practiced. We were in class. We ran through our, our mock trial. The teacher had three different law classes throughout the day and picked the best of each of the teams to be the school's mock trial team. So we get done with the trial. I don't even remember if we won or lost or whatever. But what I remember is that the teacher picked the witness that I had prepared. She thought the witness did such a good job. She picked the witness to be the school's mock trial team witness. She didn't pick me to be on the school's mock trial team. Wow. And I said, well, I'll show you. <laughs> so I went to law school. Wow. So I'm, wow. I'm a lawyer because of spite. <laughs> hey, man, whatever motivates you, right? Whatever works. So what? So where did you end up going to law school then? I went to law school. So the only three years of my life I've been outside the state of Florida. Uh, I went up to Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, I thought a, you were going to say the Ohio State University, no. dude. Then I was—you had some brownie points with me, but <laughs> I don't know about Alabama, dude. You went to Birmingham, <laughs> Alabama, to a small school called Cumberland School of Law, which is part of Samford, not Stanford, but Samford, yeah. S-A-M-F-O-R-D. Yeah, you went to Cumberland School of Law at Samford University. Spent three years in Birmingham, gorgeous place to live. Yeah. Got to take advantage of all four seasons. Uh, but I always knew, you know, you can take the boy out of Florida. You can't take the Florida out of the boy. Um, I always knew I was coming back. And so actually started my career as an attorney in Miami, moved back home to wow. uh, stay with my parents and get back on my feet and started my career in Miami as an attorney. And, and um, so you, well, I mean, you, how, how <laughs> I've heard nightmare stories about taking the bar exam. How'd you do? I passed first time. <laughs> Did you? Yeah. And Good. I think my score would still allow me to pass today. Um, that same score, you know, the score has gone up. Um, yeah. You know, like all other attorneys, unless you ace it, unless you do perfect on it, I, I think my score was in the 240 something range. I, yeah. You know, we used to have a saying in law school what do you call the, what do you call the guy that finishes last in his medical doctorate class? Call him doctor. So <laughs> right. you know, it doesn't right. really matter. Um, right. but, but yeah, I passed the bar I actually. So it was funny, funny story. I was working for this guy in Miami uh, as a, as a part-time, as a, not a part-time, as a, a law clerk, as a, you right. know, unlicensed working under him. He did a lot of immigration law. He did real estate law, which is how I got into real estate law as part of my career here. And so what I would do is I would go to my bar review class first thing in the morning, I'd have lunch. And then I'd go work for him until about six o'clock at night. And then I'd study for a little bit at the office. I worked, for those of you familiar with Miami, I worked on Brickle Key or Clawton Island, uh, and I lived in the hammocks. And so it was probably about a, what, 15 mile drive as the crow flies. And it took me an hour and a half each way. 
So I wanted to wait for traffic to clear. So I would go to take my bar review, go work for him. Uh, he would leave the office around 5, 5.30, 6 o'clock, and then I would start studying until traffic cleared, and then I would drive home. And I did that every day. Uh, and then he gave me about two weeks off um, to study for the bar exam itself. And so same kind of thing. I'd wake up first thing in the morning, I'd start studying, um, and, and I wouldn't stop studying until till the end of the day. Uh, I came, the bar exam is up here in Tampa. It's always uh -huh. been up here in Tampa. This year, mm -hmm. uh, this year I think they moved, they also set up an Orlando location, but then postponed the bar exam because of COVID. Uh, but it was, I came up here to Tampa. I actually slept with my bar review books under my pillow. I figured, you know, I tried everything else. Let me osmosis can't hurt. So let me try that too. Um, and it was intense, man. It was you go into this huge room at the Tampa Convention Center that got this clock that's the size of a stadium scoreboard. Wow. It shows you how much time you have left. You can't talk. No pressure. You can't, ugh, you can't bring stuff in with you. You can't, you know, if you have to go to the bathroom, you got to get a proctor. And I mean, it was, it was intense, but. Wow. Um, how know, long, I, how long is that? It's two days. So, so, um, and I, I don't remember the first day versus second day, but one of the two days is the federal part of the bar exam. And that, and it's uh, three essay questions uh, that you have to answer. And back then it was, they wouldn't even allow computers. So we got those blue books and we were having to write out our answers in the blue yeah. book. My hand was so cramped when I was done with the bar exam, but it's three essays and then uh, multiple choice questions. And then the other day is the same thing three essays, multiple choice questions, but on Florida law specifically. Now, but, if you wanted to, I'm just curious because I don't know, and it's a random question, but if you wanted to practice in other states, do you have to go take their bar exam too? Depends on what state you want to go practice in. So I know, for example, Georgia does have a reciprocity clause where I think if you practice for a certain amount of time, all you have to do is take their state bar portion of the exam. I think Got it. Florida yeah. doesn't really reciprocate with anybody. So if you're an attorney in another state and you want to come take, you want to practice in Florida, you got to take the bar exam. Yeah. Got it. So, wow. So, so you went, you passed the bar, you end up, you're working at that firm in Miami, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. The guy offered me a job. Um, it was a as, as an attorney, as an attorney. Yeah. A junior. <laughs> right. <laughs> it was, a, so it was an interesting little firm. There were three partners, but each partner was its own corporation. So I, there were six attorneys cause each partner had an associate, but I only worked with the one. And so the mm. other were just sort of in the office to bounce ideas off of, it wasn't really a firm like you'd consider a firm. I worked for my boss and the right. other associates worked for their bosses and and that was it but he taught me a ton he was he was uh, from england oh wow and so he taught me how to write he taught me how to write proper in in the queen's english wow um, he taught me how to communicate he taught me all about title that's where i got into my love of real estate he did immigration law um which i couldn't stand um but he did a lot of real estate law and that's that's where i found you know i graduated from Florida State with a degree in accounting. And I think the numbers just drew me to, to real estate law. The other thing is I mm. said to a friend of mine when we were in law school, he was working at a family law firm. And I said, dude, why would you want to work at a family law firm? Why would you want to see divorces and domestic violence? And why would you want to see this stuff every day? And I'll never forget his response. He said, well, think about it, Sean. When does someone go to an attorney because something went right? Right. <laughs> they, they come, yeah. people come. People come to us because things go wrong. But Isn't that the truth? I think what drew me to real estate, at least at the time, this is now the late 90s, early 2000s, people enjoyed it. You know, so the seller got a check. The buyer got a house that was new to them. Everybody yeah. was having a good time. It, yeah. it was one of those areas of law that people came to us because stuff went right. And, and that's right. what drew me to real estate. Wow. So you got into real estate law. How long did you work for that firm in Miami? I worked there for three years. Okay. And, and, and then what? Well, so I got to the point where I saw I was always going to be this guy's right-hand man. And and I saw he was never going to make me a partner. He was never going to, you know, it, it was his firm and yeah. I was his right-hand man. And at by that point, um, you know, Miami 
was very, very different than the place that I grew up and I knew it was time to get out. So I started looking for jobs and I targeted the Tampa Bay area. I targeted the Orlando area. I targeted Jacksonville. And then I decided if none of those worked, I'd, I'd target Georgia and go take the Georgia bar. And luckily I got hired on by a firm uh, here in Clearwater, Florida that did foreclosure law. And so that was my start into what the law firm is today. So I was one of the bank's attorneys. I was taking away people's houses. I was foreclosing and I found the area of law wow. fascinating. Back, um, back up. How, how did you sleep at night? <laughs> I'm serious. How, how, do you, how do you go take away somebody's house? And look, I'm sure there were some real true deadbeats, but, um, like, you know, there was a lot going on. Like in 2008 and 2009, all of that nightmare mess, man, there were some good people that lost their homes. Yeah, this was 01 to 04 that I oh. was working for the banks. Gotcha. Uh, and, and but, you know, I had people ask me that quite, how do you sleep at night? And I said, you know, with a pillow and a blanket like everybody else. <laughs> um, you know, the, the banks, here's the interesting thing. The people that say the bank wants my house. I can tell you, I've heard the bank say it. That is not true. Yeah. Charles yeah. said very comfortably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the banks do not want people's houses. The banks right. want streams of income. Right. Now, if the borrower doesn't pay, they got no choice. Um, right. And that's right. a lot of times what the bank's logic right. is. But that was, I think that was probably one of the best learning experiences I ever had. I got to, I got to meet and see a lot of the top people at Chase. Uh, up in Columbus. I got to meet a lot of the people from Freddie Mac. Um, in fact, I remember going up to Columbus. That's where Chase has its or had its headquarters for mortgages. I don't know where it is today. Yeah. And I, was going I think to, it's still up here. It, it may probably is. And, and I went in February and, you know, here I am. Oh, a kid. God. And I, I didn't know what to do. And I, and I, I said <laughs> to a friend of mine, I'm, we're heading up there. He said he had just moved to Florida from Chicago. And so he loaned me his uh, overcoat to bring with me. But right. dude, I, I was in like a sweater and I had no idea what to do. I, I have no idea how to react when it gets cold. Yeah. Yeah. It's way different in uh, Columbus, Ohio in February than it is in Miami for yeah. sure. Well, and in fact, I remember back to law school, my roommate was from Tennessee. He was from Murfreesboro, Tennessee. And I yeah. remember one day I was, I was at home alone. He was at the library studying, doing whatever. And I, I saw the, the, the guy, the weatherman came on TV and said, if you have, uh, you know, you want to turn your, your water on to prevent your you know, freeze warning. We want to prevent your pipes from freezing. In Alabama? In Birmingham. I remember Birmingham is almost as far north in Alabama as you can get. I, oh, I, I get I get it, but dude, it's still Alabama. Hey, it's not Columbus. I get it. So so the weatherman said you want to you want to do you want to let your pipes you know you want to let your water run so your pipes don't freeze. So yeah. I go to every every faucet in the apartment and I turn them all <laughs> on full blast. Oh my god! My, my roommate comes home. What the heck is going on? I said, dude, the weatherman, the pipes, and the and he's like, dude, one faucet, one drip, we're good. A drip. <laughs> A little I, <laughs> I have no idea. The weatherman said we don't want the pipes to freeze. Turn the water on. I went to every faucet oh, and turned the water on. What do you that want me to do? Funny. And every faucet. <laughs> but the weatherman didn't say one faucet, one drip. He said, turn your faucets on. <clears throat> wow. That's funny, dude. So 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 um so you learned a lot at the firm where you were taking people's houses, like the evil attorney that you were. Um <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, I get, I get it though, man. So, um, where, so where did you end up going from there? Because that was, you said from till about Oh four, about Oh four. So one of the cool things about that firm, every firm that does foreclosure law for the banks says that they are cradle to grave, soup to nuts, A to Z, whatever, whatever you want to call it. And what it means is that when the bank refers the loan to that firm, they can do everything. They can do from the lawsuit, if it becomes contested, the bankruptcy, uh, evictions, title issues, they can do the entire thing start to finish. The, yeah. the issue is today, those firms are segregated mostly 
so that you have one group of attorneys that does one piece of it, another group of attorneys that does another piece of it, and so on and so on. The firm that I was at, the attorneys were also cradle to grave. So between 01 and 04, if you had ever walked into my office, you'd have seen a, a stack of files that were make sure we pick the defendants properly, a stack of files, make sure we're doing service properly, a stack of contested files, a stack of bankruptcy files, a stack of eviction files, and so on and so on and so on. It was the legal assistants that were segregated by department. So I'd work with different legal assistants depending on where we were yeah. in the process. So in 04, I had just bought my first house and uh, the boss sent around an email. She didn't want to do foreclosure law anymore. She was an intellectual property attorney and that's what she enjoyed doing. So she was shutting the firm down. And so my thought was, well, what do I do to prevent my file from coming across my desk? And I was really good at speeding them up. Uh, my fastest, my, my personal best, my record was 97 days from the time the lawsuit was filed until the time the foreclosure sale occurred. So I knew how to go really fast. I said, let me see if I can turn this on its ear and slow them down and, and help people. I, I had interviewed laterally to move to other foreclosure firms, but by that point I was six years out. Uh, my dad had started his own CPA practice. I always knew that's what I wanted to do from the law practice perspective. I said, you know, I know a lot about how to speed them up. Let me see if I can turn them on their ear and slow them down. So at the end of 04, around this time, uh, 2004, uh, mm -hmm. I hung a shingle and went off on my own and started defending foreclosures. Wow. Good for you. You know, I've, uh, it's crazy. Um, back in 08, 09, I mean, we went through that whole thing, man, and, and business crashed. The house payment didn't. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and we went through it, man. And it was a nightmare fighting Wells Fargo. And, and it took five years, man. And, 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 um, I just remember that I, you know, I'm of course working with my attorney, who's one of my best friends in the world. And, and, and I'm looking, you know, doing case study research and, and I see like, Wells Fargo, BOA, all of these ginormous um, lenders are like one. I heard it was a story in Florida. I, it was somewhere in Florida that Bank of America foreclosed like this couple shows up for a surprise birth. The, the wife's having a surprise birthday party. It's their vacation home having a surprise 50th for her husband or something and has all these plans and gets 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 to their beach house in Florida from up north and there's freaking foreclosure paperwork up on the doors. It's locked. The locks have been changed, all this stuff. They foreclosed on the wrong house. The wrong house. Yep. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. Like, uh, could you imagine showing up at your house and, and bank of America put foreclosures, change the locks and everything on the wrong house. Yeah. There's all kinds of stories of that kind of stuff happening. Florida was one of the epicenters of the mortgage meltdown. Well, I, and, and I think, you know, and, and I'm, I'm Grant Cardone's a buddy of mine and, and he, you know, he said this before I've heard him say it, that, you know, that was a bubble back then, you know, that back then, you know, all you needed was a heartbeat to get a loan, to buy a house. And, right. and um, and you know, I've heard that we're in the middle of another kind of bubble that's, that's possibly going to burst in the near future. This, this kind of, this bubble is, is, I agree we're in a bubble, but yeah. it's different than, than oh, yeah. formed in 08. I mean, I think, so I think real estate absolutely drove the recession in 08. I think real estate's going to pull us out of the recession this time. Um, now I think um, a lot of uh, a lot of commercial real estate is going to take a huge hit. I just got a a message on Facebook or something today. One of my favorite restaurants close here to the house just can't can't swim anymore, and they're they're shutting down in a couple of weeks. That's so. Uh, you know, restaurants. E even with my law firm now, personally, um, the space next to me. I've been in my space now two years and a couple of months. The space next to me has been empty since before I took over my space. And I had some designs to 
bust out a wall or put in a door or whatever and, and absorb that space. But yeah. now I'm thinking, I mean, I'm talking to you from, from my house. My kids are in school. My wife's at work. I got the place to myself. Yeah. Why do I need extra commercial space? Right. And so I think commercial is going to take a little bit of a hit right now because of what we're going through. But I think Absolutely. It, it's different because back in 08, 09, even in 01 through 04, 05, 06, the house was worth 100000 in the morning and it was worth 175 at night. And that just couldn't sustain. Nope. But I don't think we're seeing those huge jumps no. in price value today. So what, what do you, um, <clears throat> what do you like? So you started this, you started your own firm. You said that was 04 or 05? 04. 04. So you started up your own firm in 04. Um, here we are 16 years later. How are things going? So this is actually the second firm that I oh. started from scratch. You got foreclosed on in the first one. <laughs> so yeah, I started the first firm and I actually started up, I, I, I rented space from a pair of real estate investors. Okay. And so I know we had someone comment about doing a lot of short sales and whatnot. And so yeah. that's, what, that's what they were doing. They were sending out letters. Yeah. Charles helping people with, with negotiating and short sales. I did a ton of loan modifications and short sales back in the day. So I, I had rented space from a pair of real estate investors and they would send out letters and target people in foreclosure. They'd bring them into the office. And if uh, they couldn't, if it wasn't a house that they wanted, uh, they would say, well, we can't help you, but we've got an attorney that rents space from us. Do you want to talk to him? And man, there were, I would start on like a Saturday. I'd start at like eight in the morning and I'd do half hour consultations through lunch and I wouldn't be done till six o'clock at night. And I'd get more than half of them to hire me on the spot. I mean, wow. there was money coming out of my ears. Um, I got to the point and I was helping a lot of people. Let me say that as well. I was helping a lot of people save their house or get out of their house with no liability wow. or, you know, whatever. In 2006, I met a guy who was just graduating law school and uh, he and I became friends and I brought him into the firm uh, as what we call of counsel. So I paid him on a 1099 basis. He wasn't an employee of the law firm. He just sort of handled my overflow. And we worked so well together that in 07, I did give him an equity position in the law firm and we became law partners. Yeah. And we ended up growing that firm. So the interesting thing was we would say, well, why are we getting all these foreclosures? Well, we're getting a bunch of foreclosures because people are getting divorced. Mm. So we brought in a buddy of ours to do divorce law. Okay, well, why? what, what other reasons? Well, we're getting a lot of foreclosures because people are passing and, and when they pass away, the, the family loses an income. Okay, mm. fine, we brought in a probate guy. Uh, you know, why else? Well, they're getting into car accidents and when they do that, they can't work. And, and so, okay, we brought in a personal injury guy. And we just kept you know, pulling in the pieces that led to the foreclosure and doing those areas of law. At our height, we were four law partners, 12 attorneys total, 150 staff. We were doing, I think, like four to five million annually in revenue. It was a decent sized little law firm. Yeah. Um, and, and it was great. Uh, and then right in a row. So I remember my dad had a triple bypass, which he's still knock on wood. He's still doing great. Wow. Um, then the following year, that was, I think, oh, eight or oh, nine. Then the following year, um, I got married. So that would have been oh, nine. He had his bypass. 2010, I got married. 2011, we had our first son. And 2012, I turned 40. And so mm -hmm. bang, 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 four life events right in a row. And I just looked around and said, I can't I can't keep up this pace anymore. I can't feed the beast anymore. Um, at the same time, my law, the main law partner, the guy that helped me start it, he was going through a divorce and no kids. No, I think the biggest argument they had was the dog who gets the dog. Um, there were some infidelity arguments going each way, um, but that I think changed my partner's attitude. It's It stopped being about a bunch of 30 year olds trying to build this monster and having a lot of fun. And it started to become more about 
you know, the first name on the door did X, but the third name on the door did this, and the fourth name on the door did more than the second name that did more than the first. And it started to become all this craziness. And so I said, look, I'm out. Um, right around this time in 2012, they bought me out and I used wow. that money to start this law firm uh, doing the same kind of thing, foreclosure defense, loan modification, wow. short sales, bankruptcies, uh, helping people get out of debt. I, <clears throat> wow, that's that's um, that's pretty cool, man. So um, Ernest says, would you recommend commercial space to maintain the company image rather than working out of your home? Well, and yeah, I still have my office. The the what yeah. I said before was I was thinking about expanding, and now I may not yeah. expand it. But I still do. Yeah, I mean, I have a commercial space. If I need to meet with a client that that can't be on Zoom or phone, then yeah, I, I like having an office that they can come to. So yeah, you know what's interesting about that question, though, Sean, is six months ago the answer would be unequivocally yes. You should probably have now. Dude, we've spent six months with, you know, governments saying no face-to-face -face meeting, social distancing, blah, blah, blah. <clears throat> and and I look, Saturday, I was at a client's office, a medical um, um, facility in Michigan. And it's I was I was up there, you know, helping her with some stuff. And 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 I think she said 70 or 80 percent of her building is not occupied. Yeah. And it's a gorgeous building. I mean, gorgeous building. So that's massive, man. Seventy to eighty percent. That's insane. Well, and it's you know there was that YouTube video I think going around a couple of years ago about the guy doing the meeting on on a video call, and the the kid walks in, and the 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 maid runs in and tries to grab the kid and get the kid out, and the kid's making craziness, and this guy's on a business call. You know, a year ago. Yeah year and a half ago when that video came out, that was hilarious. Yeah. Today it's normal. I mean, dude, I look at your, look here, let me, let me go back to this behind you. You have your, your, your cupboards, your drawers are, are kid, kid proofed. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but that's the way it is today. And it's weird. It's really bizarre. You know, going and meeting somebody and giving my client a hug and was like, you know, uh, are we going to get arrested for this? Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, it's just weird, man, but it's but, a good thing too, to, to, to see the, the difference. So it, it, it is. And, and there's, I don't know how to react. So I, I was, I had lunch with a buddy of mine the other day and his first instinct and my first instinct was to shake hands. Yeah. And we were both like, so now do we get sanitizer? Do we go wash our hands? Can we just eat? Are you sick? Am I sick? Did you take your temperature? It's, it's weird. Yeah, I, I think that um I mean I, I don't know, man. I, I I'll 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 just keep my opinion to myself about all of it. I have one. And most people watching know what my opinion is. So um Charles says we're in good shape. He's out in the um Silicon Valley area. Um the people who own rental properties aren't being paid in California, which I can't like wow. Florida's the same way. So we've got uh, our governor put a moratorium in place. Uh, now he did clarify it, but at least until uh, for the next, what, nine days till October one, um, no evictions, no foreclosures in Florida. Now the governor clarified it and said no final action. So you can have the foreclosure lawsuit. You can have the eviction lawsuit. You can get your judgment. You just can't force someone out of their house by a foreclosure sale. You can't have the sheriff put them out on the street. Wow. And then he clarified it further and said, as long as it's COVID related. So I've had some clients that I have one client right now, his mortgage default was in 2013. And <laughs> he asked me to stop his foreclosure sale. I'm like, dude, you, your default was seven years before COVID existed. Yeah. To stop. Um, and that, and I know the CDC came in and said, no, uh, no evictions. Um, under certain circumstances as well. So yeah, landlords are getting hit really hard, which means for the real estate investors listening to the show, there's a huge opportunity brewing out there to start buying up distressed properties, whether commercial residential, because I'm sure there's landlords out there that are, I'm sure that there are people that are claiming COVID that shouldn't be and are yeah. not paying rent. Yeah. 
Weldon says people are converting office space back into warehouse space. It's less per square foot, but it's rentable. Yeah. Well, and I know down here in Florida, there's a huge boom of storage space. So converting, you know, building storage space, possibly converting office and warehouse into storage space. There's, there's, you know, storage people, people don't like getting rid of their stuff. I'm looking forward. We're having a garage sale in, in about two weeks for the community. And um, they were like, should we have this garage sale? I'm like, yes, we should. I want to get rid of my very valuable crap. Come to my garage sale and buy my stuff. Joe Ingram, I think he's talking about your client. <laughs> yeah. He had COVID before it happened. Yeah, I, I that way ahead of the curve. Yeah. I had a client. I had a client that said she had COVID for six months. I'm like, if you've had COVID for six months, you'd probably be gone by now. It, I, you know, I feel for you and I'll help you, but I don't think you've had COVID for six months. Yeah. So what are the, what are some of the things that you're doing to, um, to help the world, man? I mean, you know, I know you, um, you left the big, well, semi big, small firm. Um, you said you were doing four or 5 million in, or somewhere in that arena in the yeah. firm. Well, the firm, um, I yeah, the firm, right, right, right. But I mean, still, you weren't making twenty grand a year. You were probably no. doing a little better than that. Um, you're like, yeah, I was thirty-two. Um, but uh, anyway, so you left that after building that up. You got bought out. You started your own um, practice, and right. and. So what are some of the things that people reach out to you for? How are you impacting the world currently? Same kind of thing I did before at the old firm. I'm just helping people to get out of debt. You know, I, I say that I know I've done a good consultation when the person leaves my office feeling like a weight was lifted off their shoulders. There's a lot of myths out there about foreclosures and, and bankruptcies and, and short sales and all that kind of stuff. Um, I do have a big contingent of clients that are real estate investors. And so I help those guys out as well. Mm. Um, you know, the big thing you all can see the mic in the screen, um, you know, six months ago, <clears throat> excuse me, pre COVID, I have a podcast, which I'm, I'm representing on my shirt right now. There you go. Um, and so all this, all my recording equipment was at the office. I recorded all this stuff at the office. Um, and so I have a podcast that helps get a lot of this information out, bankruptcies, foreclosures, short sales, investing in real estate, all that kind of stuff. Um, I've written now my second book. So the first book is Crushing Debt, came from the podcast called Crushing Debt. Nice. Uh, the second book that I just released within the last month or two is called Become Debt Free in Less Than an Hour. Uh, and it's all the different tips and tricks that I've picked up 20 plus years of representing people in debt to help people get out of debt. So um, wow. that's, that's what I'm doing now is, is battling, battling debt, battling banks. And, and I still think I still do some plaintiff foreclosure work because most of the plaintiffs I represent are note holders, note buyers, uh, private investors, private individuals, people that use their 401ks to invest that kind of stuff. So I, I, think, still, I think this is my buddy, Corey, if he would click on the link and go register with streamyard.com slash Facebook, it would show his name. Um, but he, if it's Corey, Corey has a bunch of apartments. Um, I'm not sure if it's him or not, but um, so you work with guys like that too. Yes. Yes. I do work with real estate investors, whether it's, you know, multi-unit apartment buildings, whether it's a single family house, you know, four units, two units, duplex, triplex, whatever. Yeah. Work with them. Uh, what I don't do is the syndication side of it. So I have attorneys that I refer to if, if uh, an investor wants to raise a bunch of money to buy an apartment building, I have another uh, really good friend of mine, couple guys that I can refer to, but everything else outside of that drafting leases, drafting contracts, letters of intent, um, you know, all the stuff that goes into commercials, um, commercial and residential real estate investing. Yeah. So, so I, I have several friends that own credit repair companies. Um, and I know some of the, 
I mean, I used to work for the largest collection agency in the world um, selling for them. So what are what are some of the um, I mean, what what do you think of that that industry? Because it seems to re I mean, it's every time I open up Facebook, I'm seeing somebody else posting about their credit repair service. So what do you think of that industry? What I think you've got to be careful about that industry. So one of the issues is they'll say, you know, we can get bankruptcies off your credit. No, you can't. <laughs> or they'll say, you know, maybe you can, but, you know, we'll get bankruptcy off your credit the day after the discharge is entered. No, you won't. Uh, you know, we'll get rid of this. We'll get rid of that. The credit repair industry, they can only get rid of things that are improper or incorrect. And right. so maybe what they can do is if I have 10 uh, creditors and I file a bankruptcy, and those yeah. 10 creditors get eliminated, get discharged, and they're still reporting on my credit. That I can get rid of. Yeah. Um, a lot of times what they'll do is they'll just hammer the, the credit repair reporting agencies with letters. And when they can't respond fast enough, it has to drop off. Right. The score goes up. But once they've it's, it's called the law of diminishing returns or something <laughs> like that, right? Like they, right. they just hammer them until they can't respond anymore. And then it has to go off. But the minute they can verify, it goes back on. Right. So you you yeah. raise it to buy that house and then it plummets again. Yeah. Uh, or there, there's a whole, I actually ordered a book that a, that a friend of mine recommended. I'm waiting to get it in now. I don't remember the title off the top of my head, but it's a book about how the credit industry works. And there's a couple of hacks that yeah. as an attorney, I, I don't know that I could recommend, but there's a couple <laughs> of hacks to help people clean up credit. And so yeah. I don't intend yeah. to get in the credit repair business, yeah. but, but I have a couple that I vetted that I, you know, after the clients are done with their bankruptcy, I send them to a couple of different credit repair companies that I vetted that, that helped them clean up their credit. Yeah. So what, uh, and that was Doug wing, by the way, not, not Corey, Doug owns a bunch of apartments out in, in, um, the Utah area. So, so what, um, what, and Kyle asks a great question. How, how do you stand out from your competitors? Well, the first thing is I work for the banks. A lot of the competitors that I have did not work for the banks. And so, I've created a reputation amongst the bank's attorneys that mm -hmm. I'm not going to bring a frivolous defense. If I bring a defense with teeth in it, there's something there. Let's, let's talk it out. I am going to throw monkey wrenches at them. I am going to try to slow them down so that the clients can catch their breath and figure out what they want to do in terms of foreclosure, bankruptcy, whatever. Uh, the other things that set me apart, the podcast itself, I know a handful of attorneys that have podcasts, but none of them in the area of law that that i practice um the two books that sets me apart i don't know any other um published author or attorneys uh in the area um so those are all the different things that that i would say set me apart from my competitors is i'm always writing i'm always content creating i'm always doing podcasts um youtube lives you know whatever um, yeah, I, w I was on your podcast. You were. I think that episode's coming out Thursday. I got to check with my editor, but I think you're oh, it? Thursday. Yeah. Yeah, that's exciting, dude. So, so, um, so talk about, you have, don't you have a, a university or something too? A university? No, that's, that's, uh, that's, that's the other one. Sorry. My bad. My bad. <laughs> um, my bad. So, to the average person that may be in a ton of debt right now and and especially amid the covid crisis and a lot of people losing their jobs and and not knowing what the future holds what would you say to them to to you know that maybe they can't afford an attorney right now maybe they're they maybe they don't know that they can get a free consultation or whatever. Like what, yeah. what, what do you say to the people that are literally trapped in fear right now, not knowing which way to turn, because there's a lot like that right now. So a couple different things, like you said, I, I give free consultations and I, I believe a majority of my peers do. So yeah, it, it doesn't cost anything, but some time to go talk to an attorney. One of the other ways that I set myself apart, which was a great question, but one of the other ways I set myself apart is I'm an attorney that files bankruptcies. I'm not a bankruptcy attorney. So 
there's been plenty of situations where I've told clients, listen, bankruptcy is not a good choice for you. Let's find another avenue. So uh, find an attorney like that in your state. Uh, the, the third thing I would say is don't beat yourself up. I say that to clients almost every day. Don't beat yourself up. Sometimes bad things happen to good people. That's bankruptcy is your second bite at the apple or we can settle it away or, or whatever. So don't beat yourself up. It's not as bad as you think. Um, you know, despite the, the outside pressures that are, that are going on, the credit card calls that are coming in, the collection calls that are coming in, the notices you're getting in the mail, it's really not as bad as you think it is. Um, and, and I think the, the last thing is um, don't, don't panic. Um, you know, be, keep a positive mindset, which I know is really hard sometimes. But, you know, if you're having trouble keeping a positive mindset, turn off the news get off of social media, yeah. uh, you know, read a book, watch, you know, every once in a while, it's okay to sit in front of the TV and watch, uh, you know, a, a movie or watch a, a football game or a baseball game or, you know, that's why I'm glad sports is sort of coming back because it, it gives us that, that outlet now. Um, just don't watch a Dolphins game or an FSU game. But other than that, yeah. um, you know, watch something positive, watch something uplifting, read something positive, read something uplifting. Yeah. That would be my suggestion. Even sports can be like I've boycotted sports this year because of the they've they've made it political and I'm yeah. I'm not down with that. But um, so Doug Wing says, I remember the first house I paid off and was completely debt-free. I slept so good that night. I've been on Dave Ramsey's program for years. Everyone should read his book. He lost everything because he overextended himself. Now he helps people become debt-free. What do you think of, of Dave Ramsey's deal? Uh, uh, my I, don't goal, know, I don't know enough about it to, to comment. Yeah, my goal is to overcome him. My goal is to be bigger than him. Uh, that, that's where I'm going. Um, awesome. You know, Dave Ramsey has a lot of great ideas where I disagree or where Dave Ramsey disagrees with me is he hates bankruptcy and he never, he, I, I don't know of a situation. I think I saw a YouTube video where, you know, it's gotta be bottom of the barrel, worst of the worst. And then he would consider bankruptcy. And, and I don't know that that's necessarily true. You know, he himself filed bankruptcy. So for him to be dissuading people from filing bankruptcy seems a little um, hypocritical there. He does have a lot of great ideas, the, the snowball yeah. and the avalanche and the, you know, living on ramen noodles and, you know, all that. Kind of, I get it. Budgeting, you know, all that kind of stuff is good stuff. Um, but I know that he doesn't like me because I'm a bankruptcy attorney and I don't even know that he knows who I am, but right. he doesn't like me because I'm a bankruptcy attorney. So I'll, I'll give it right back to him. Right. Love that, man. So, um, Grant Cardone and Robert Kiyosaki recommend acquiring leveraged debt in real estate. I'm wondering what Sean's thoughts are on that. So interestingly, Kiyosaki also filed bankruptcy. Uh, not personally. I think it was one of his companies that had to right. file bankruptcy. And, and that's another one of those places where I think Dave Ramsey and I disagree. Ramsey is, you know, save, 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 buy with cash. But if you can do it right, if you can leverage that asset and make sure that it's cash flowing, you know, someone else earlier said that all of his apartments are, are paying right now. Yeah, it was Doug, Doug Wing. Would be probably because he's doing a good job of vetting those tenants up front. And so he knows he's getting tenants that have money, that have jobs that, you know, that are, that are going to be paying. Yeah. And I think if you can pair that with, you know, Grant Cardone's strategy, Robert Kiyosaki's strategy and buy assets, using debt, but then you have tenants that are paying off that debt for you. Yeah. I, you know, I got no problem with that. It's, it's when you over leverage that you get into trouble. It's when you, you know, I'm going to buy this, whatever, I'm going to buy this hundred thousand dollar house and put a $99,000 loan on it. And then I can't get a tenant in it. Now I got to pay this more. That's when you get into trouble. Right. Um, I had one of my real estate investor mentors taught me a long time ago. You don't make money when you sell, you make money when you buy the asset. Got it. Wow. That's how wow. I mean for that one. So um, Robert says, if you can buy rental property with tenants in the right market, you get a cash positive outcome immediately. I, I, I agree with that. And Grant Cardone, I mean, Grant is an anomaly, man. I mean, the dude has, 
you know, I had him on on um, a live stream with me the other night. I mean, he's got two point one billion dollars in real estate assets yeah. now. And, you know, he's obviously doing something right. And I don't understand all of that stuff, man. I, I know he does. Um, you know, he has private equity deals and, and, you know, all kinds of different things cooking. So did you happen to see, uh, I think it was in, it was April fools. He put out a couple of videos in April about, you know, get me a bankruptcy attorney. I need to file bankruptcy. I want to, file it, was, it was, it, it was, um, actually it was March and, and he, um, he talked about that on my live stream the other night. Did you not, you didn't see it. I saw the first part of it. I had something else yeah. come up. I had to jump off early, but was yeah, that a cool joke? No, uh, uh, it's something else. Okay, you, you have to go watch it. He he, uh, and read between the lines. But yeah, it was it was obviously not true. I mean, he said it. He said, you know, I put that out in March, and the, a month or a month earlier, I did the um, the. 10x growth con and it was a huge hit i mean there were it was huge i right. mean john travolta spoke there and all kinds of chris rock and and so or was it chris rock or no it was um anyway whoever um but and he said you got to screw up for a lot longer than 30 days before you, you end up filing bankruptcy <laughs> so but anyway so you know and i think that that's something that I, I, you know, again, this show is about how do we help people get unstuck? So for the people that are out there right now that, um, are stuck, that are, that are like, they're stuck, they're scared. They're, they're living in fear. Maybe they can't even, I mean, dude, I've been there where it's like, I had to go borrow money from family just to feed my, my family, you know? And it's like, how do you, how do you, um, how do you help those people, man, that are that are just freaking out right now? Well, I, again, I think it comes back to, you know, a lot of times just take a deep breath, reassess, figure out where where am I? And, and a lot of times it's not really going to be that bad. Even if someone has to file bankruptcy, it's not going to be that bad. It, it's typically not as bad as you think it is. You know, I answer a lot of questions here in Florida about, you know, I got this foreclosure notice. Are they going to come and take my house tomorrow? No, Florida's takes still taking a year or so or more in certain circumstances for someone to take the house at a foreclosure sale. Plus with COVID that's even delayed now as well. Right. So, I'm a year and a half out or more. Yeah. Especially if you fight it. If you fight it, right. Even if you don't fight it, it's still a year, nine months, 12 months. Right. Plus right now, I anticipate that our governor is going to extend that foreclosure moratorium a couple more times, probably through and beyond the election. Because part of the problem we're running into right now is we're getting back to that time of 2008, where I don't think the banks foreclosed on everything they could have because they didn't want this influx of properties hitting the market. They didn't want to flood the market with, with inventory. And I think that's going to be a consideration for when do we end the eviction and the foreclosure moratorium. But I would say, you know, again, get as much information as you can. A lot of people that come to me that are really scared just don't understand how the process works. And when I explain the process to them and they get it, that's when they they feel better. They leave. I have, I still have a box of tissues on my desk just in case, but they leave feeling better. They, they leave seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. They leave with a plan. I think the, the clients that get themselves into the most trouble just don't have a plan to work it out. They're just sort of flying by the seat of their pants. And so you have, um, like, do you have, I know that you practice in Florida. Um, but do you have like, um, a network of attorneys that you are comfortable with, that you maybe have vetted, that you know, that you can refer people to. I mean, you have a podcast, dude. That means you're getting out all over the world. Yeah. Um, and I do have some attorneys that I've talked to in different states that, yes, I can absolutely refer to depending on where they are, where the client is. The other thing is I belong to a couple different consumer organizations, um, consumer attorney organizations. And so one of them I know has an attorney finder on its website. So if I don't know somebody, 
I can always refer to that website to go uh, look up attorneys in wherever the person is living. That's awesome. Do you know how to vet these attorneys? Like what, what to look for and what to avoid? I mean, cause there are bad attorneys. Yeah. Like, like I, any other industry. I think what I would look for is, you know, years of experience. How long have they been doing this? Uh, right. How long have they been doing this area of law? Some attorneys are, I personally, I don't like giving, and I think the bar would actually look down on me if I gave success statistics, number one, because yeah. how do you define success? And number two, there's an ethical rule. Yes, attorneys have ethics rules that yeah. um, <laughs> prohibit us from giving a statistic that might create in, in the mind of the client a potential result. But right. I would look at, you know, do they have a podcast? Do they have a book? How long have they been practicing? Do they have reviews on their website? Do they have reviews in other areas? Um, right. Look up, you know, go to the bar's website, whatever state bar's website, look up that attorney on the state bar's website. If that attorney's ever been disciplined, it'll be on that bar's website. Um, look at, you know, I, I would do as much due diligence as I can. Yeah. It's difficult to say, give me some clients I can interview because there's attorney client privilege information there. But, right. Right. Um, you know, do they have social, social media page? Do they have a website? Do they have an active social media page? Right. Um, you know, are they producing content that talks about this kind of stuff? Um, right. Have they been a speaker at different um, legal education seminars? You know, which I can check all those boxes, by the way. Yeah. That's <laughs> awesome, dude. That's awesome. How, do, how, how can uh, everybody on here, how can they um, follow you? I want to want to pop your website up here on the screen. So how, how, what's your website address? It's uh, just yesnerlaw.com. Uh, Y-E-S-N-E-R law.com. Um, I do have, I do have a second uh, website, which is the, all the debt free stuff. Um, okay. So I do Can have they that. get to it through Yesner Law? Not quite yet, but I'll put that link. I'll, I'll make that link happen. Um, what's what's the other website? The other one is SeanMYesner.com. Sean what? Sean M as in Michael. SeanMYesner.com. Yeah, SeanMYesner.com. There, right there. Yep. Right that's the funnel that gets into the become debt free stuff and, and the books and the, and all, and the podcast is on every major podcast. It's on Apple, it's on Stitcher, it's on all of them. Spotify, uh, I learned, all that. I learned yeah. the other day I was also on Amazon too. So it's on Amazon music as well. Awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> Sean, you're a good dude, man. I appreciate you um, coming on and and sharing and 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 the the final question I have for you is, um, what do you think, in your opinion, is the number one thing? Now, fear is the number one answer to this question, by the way. So okay. you have to do better than that. Okay. <laughs> what is the number one thing that's holding people back from success and happiness in life? Themselves, I think. Um, you know, I, I wake up at five o'clock every morning and I read for 30 to 45 minutes. The house is quiet. The wife and kids are asleep. And, and that's what I enjoy doing. And so a lot of times it's getting out of your own head. I mean, like I said uh, earlier, it, it's not as bad as you think. If, if I think to myself, well, this happened, what's the worst case scenario? It's typically not as bad as you think. And so I think a lot of it is getting your, your mindset straight and, and a lot of times just getting out of your own way. Love that. Become debt free in less than one hour. So the, the concept behind the book, too, by the way, is that you're not going to read it, start reading it now. And an hour from now, you're going to be debt free. But the stuff I talk about in the book can be implemented in less than an hour. Wow. That's awesome, dude. So everybody go follow Sean. What's the best social media? Where where are you at most active? Uh, Yesner Law 
is is on Facebook. Facebook, um, okay. Yeah, and and me personally on Facebook, but and and a lot of times I'll post the stuff on Yesner Law and then share it to my own page. Okay. Um, but but Yesner Law is on Facebook. Everybody, go follow Sean Yesner. Sean, stay with me. Thank you for for coming on and sharing your wisdom. Appreciate it. Am, am I the first attorney you've ever called a cool dude? Uh, probably not. Okay. <laughs> my attorney's a pretty cool dude, man. Okay. I appreciate uh, it. But he's not even been on my show. So <laughs> yeah. But um, anyway, hey, I appreciate you, man. And and uh, just, just stay with me for a minute. I'm going to go ahead and end the live stream, but hang tight and I'll chat yeah. with you afterwards. So thank you to everybody who's joined us. Thank you to everyone for sharing this out. And we will see you all tomorrow. Sean, thanks a lot. Thanks. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.